0: Every direction that you need, every guideline that you need, God's word has it. And we're going to talk later uh, throughout this semester about why we can trust that. But I need you to know that it is perfect. It has everything. And he says, yet, yet who can discern his own errors? In other words, I will only be as free as I am first aware. You'll only be as free in your life as you are first aware of yourself so you can read the bible and you can have all these incredible verses memorized in your heart but until you know where to apply it then you'll never apply it until you ne- know where to apply scripture into your life like you can look at yourself and be honest you'll never actually end up applying it and david is saying god in your law everything is perfect everything in there is what there's everything i need in there yet help me help me become self aware help me see my my blind spots David's talking about blind spots and he says that there's hidden faults that I don't see there's these things that I don't quite understand I know that there's these issues but they're just they're just so close and right here that I just can't see them meaning that he has sins that, that he fails to see and so here's what a blind spot is it's a threat in your life that you cannot detect a blind spot is any threat in your life that you can't detect. Something that's damaging to you, but you can't see it. And we've all heard the quote that says, uh, what you don't know won't hurt you. Ignorance is bliss. But there's a quote by an author that I'm reading, Rob Reamer, he says, what you don't know will kill you. What you don't know about yourself will kill you. And have you ever been on the freeway and you're on your way to work you're blasting some worship music. You're like, you're just trying to get prepared for the day. Like, like you got your coffee in hand. You're ready to go. You're just trying to get prepared. You got your, your mug that makes you feel good about yourself. Uh, music's blasting. You're like, let the devil know not today. Whatever your worship song is, I don't know. Um, but you're singing, and, and, and you're about to get off at your exit. And last minute, as you're changing lanes, You hear this super loud honk, and then there's a swerve, and all of a sudden, turn your car over and swerve to the left, you spill your coffee, the guy in front of you jumps ahead, flips you off. Did I just do it? I think I did on video. We'll we'll blur that out. (laughs) We'll talk about it later, Pastor Greg. It's for the illustration. (laughs) But in moments so like you spill coffee on your white shirt and within moments like your day went from like peaceful presence of God but you didn't see the thing in your blind spot and so now everything's ruined. But like the re- if I spill on my white shirt or whatever shirt, I'm insecure for the rest of the day. I know I have issues. But like it's there's just an issue and I like if the tear I just kinda like walk around I'm like this, I don't know. It throws everything off. And and most of the time you're about to cuss, like, you don't want to admit it, but you're about to cuss right at the part of the chorus where she, Taya from Hillsong literally goes, the devil, no, not today. You're like, all right, Lord, not today. I won't, I won't do it today. Um, And it's always, listen, it's always like, it's always the things that we don't see that affect us the most. Always the things that we don't notice that affect us the most. Also on the freeway, notice it's always the car closest to you that you can see the least. It's always the car that's close. So, we're often most blind to the areas of our lives that are closest to us. It's hard for us to see what's close to us because we have no perspective of it. That's why most of our pain comes from the people who are nearest. And I almost, I almost titled this message, Objects in the Mirror Are Closer Than They Appear. That was too long. Because there's things in our life, those things in our life that have, those things that are closest to us have more of an effect on our life. And I think there are things, the objects in your mirror are closer than they appear, meaning like the things that you're not seeing, the things, the blind spots of your life, they affect us more than we think. They're going to hurt us more than we think. And in Psalm 19, David's warning us about these blind spots. He's trying to let us know the importance of it. And it's it's fitting that it's David who warns us because he's got some pretty expensive blind spots in his life. He, the greatest, David's greatest transgressions always came because he had a blind spot. He had things that he wasn't seeing. And if you're familiar with the story of David, or of the story of David he had one of the most world-class screw-ups in all of Scripture. I'm talking about David and Bathsheba, okay? And I'm going to go story mode a little bit and just break it down for you without going into the text. Um, This is found in 2 Samuel chapter 12. But as the story goes, David, he's the king at the time, and he was supposed to be off to war. David was supposed to be fighting, but instead he decided that he's going to stay home. He's going to take this one off. And ultimately, he ends up walking on the roof of his palace and looks across two home houses down and he sees this beautiful woman bathing. And he thinks to himself, I'm, I'm going to pursue this woman. So he does. And he asks for her, even though she's married. And what's worse is not only is she, she married, but, but her husband is, is actually fighting in the army that he's supposed to be leading. And it's an ugly, ugly scene in David's life. He ends up getting her pregnant, and he tries to cover this whole thing up by having Bathsheba's husband put onto the front line so that he'll be murdered. So that nobody finds out that it was David who impregnated his wife. And just when David thinks he's going to get away with it, because Uriah, her husband, dies, just when David thinks he's going to get away with it, the priest named Nathan comes into the scene and he gets a word from the Lord. I hate those people. (laughs) He gets a word from the Lord and he confronts David. He calls him out to the carpet and he tells him the story. He goes, David, and the story, the guy who was making all these wrong decisions, that was you. Me and God know what you did. And he's out of it. This scene is literally like a, like a a biblical soap opera. Like super intense and and on the surface, like if we look at it and I've heard it preached this way, it seems like David has a lust issue. If you look at it, it's kind of like I don't want warn one. Uh, like you know what I mean? Like he's he's just a womanizer. He's obsessed with attention. He's he's he, he needs something from a woman all the time. But I'm here to tell you tonight, it's much deeper than that. It's much deeper than that his sexual sin was actually just the branch but at the root of his sexual sin was a hidden blind spot It was a pain that was was so close to him he couldn't see it He couldn't recognize it This sin was the sin and what he did wrong was now in the light but but the cause of the sin was something he couldn't figure out he hadn't recognized that nobody talked to him about, about the cause. They just talked to him about the mess. And like David, you and I, in the same way, we get stuck in this, this sin cycle. Not because we're bad people, but because we only address the branches of behavior and not the root of why we chose that behavior. Does that make sense? So we confess our struggle. It happens all the time. I see it in ministry. I'm struggling with this thing right here, this mess. So, if We get out of it. We get out of it. Some, somehow we feel like we have to tell someone. So we confess our struggle, and then we get accountability for like four weeks. And somebody's calling us like, hey, just want to see how you're doing with this. Send a text. Here's a verse every now and then, only to eventually, within a matter of six weeks, fall back into the same problem. We fall back into it. And it ends up leaving us with this question. Is God really powerful enough to break this chain in my life? It leaves us hopeless. It leaves us asking, like, why, why can't I get out of this? Why can't I break through this? And listen, embarrassment only lasts for a minute. Like, embarrassment and shame will only keep us clean from our mess for so long. That eventually will wear off and we go back, and I've seen it time and time again because embarrassment and shame are the enemy's cheap, cheap wannabe of true repentance. Embarrassment and shame is that thing we feel instantly, and we want to think that that's true repentance. I felt that, and then I confessed, but that's a cheap counterfeit of true repentance. We feel bad about getting caught. We feel bad about people finding out, and that leaves us for a minute wanting to change. Like, I'm never doing that again. And we think that makes the heart of God happy. We think that's, okay, that's what he's after. That's holiness. But I'm here to tell you tonight that Jesus is not after behavior modification. He's after total and complete life transformation. That's what he's after in your life for your life to be completely transformed. God is not interested in you merely behaving well. He's interested in you being free. He wants you to live in freedom. John 10, 10 the enemy comes to steal, kill, and destroy. I have come that you may have life, and life to the full. But how many Christians never experience that life to the full? Why? Because I think we need our eyes open to these blind spots. See, David's issue, it wasn't sex. His issue was rejection that he never dealt with. Rejection that he, a pain of rejection that he never healed from. John Gray, he says this in a book. He says, some of us never heal past the pain of our first rejection. This is what happened in David's life. This wasn't a momentary lapse in judgment. This was a blind spot that he formed when he was still a teenager. Let me show you. You guys remember the story of David and Goliath, right? You guys still with me? story of David and Goliath? Well, that was both the launch of David's fame and the introduction to his blind spot all in in one little season. David learned that an unguarded strength, and hear this, an unguarded strength can become a double weakness. An unguarded strength can become a double weakness because David's strength was that he had this unyielding loyalty to Saul, who was the king at the time. David killed a giant that thousands of other men were running from for Saul, for Israel. He was, wanting, he was proving himself. The problem was that Saul was pretty awful to David. Throughout David's life, time and time again, David would honor Saul. He would give his life for Saul. Through it all, everything that Saul was doing, he, he stayed honorable and, and he chose not to dishonor God's anointed king. He was fiercely loyal, but remember, an unguarded strength can become a double weakness. And it was an undu- and and it was a, a double weakness because the strength that David had in loyalty actually began to work against him to cover up the pain that he was actually feeling from rejection. And he called it loyalty. So imagine just being David. He's a teenager, and he's invited into this house, this palace of the king. And David, remember, he was pretty much rejected by his dad. He was last chosen, one of eight sons, the shepherd boy. He wanted so badly to have Saul's approval. He wanted his hand of blessing. David loved Saul, and he was committed to serving Saul. I just want to pause quick away from the story. I I need to say this, that the more we value something, then the more we're vulnerable to it. The more I value something, the more I'm vulnerable to it. And some of you have been in relationships that have left you pretty hurt, that have caused some pain. And you sit there, and you almost get mad at yourself for the pain that you feel. It's like, why do I care this much? Why am I feeling this pain? Why, why did I let him or her do this to me? And it's almost like we say to ourselves, I'm so stupid. Like, this is so dumb. Like, just get over it. But the truth is this. Listen, your pain was never wrong. Your priorities were wrong. Stop calling your pain stupid. You would never say that to somebody else that you love. Why do you say it to yourself? Why do you say that to yourself? Instead, we gotta learn this lesson that the more pain that we feel reveals the higher the priority that I gave that person. The higher priority I gave that person. So to protect yourself in the future, what we need to do is process the pain while we adjust adjust their priority in our life. That person, if, if they hurt me, that much—it's affecting me that much that obviously I gave them too high of a place in my life. And we learn from that. Cool. Back to the story. Okay. So David—he's he, got this picture of what he thinks he wants his relationship with Saul to look like. It's gonna be a, a mentor-mentee kind of thing. He's gonna train me. Super pumped about it. Coming into the palace, this guy's gonna teach me a thing or two about sitting on the throne and being a king. Didn't go anything like that. He was expected for a friendship with Paul, or with Saul. It never happened. Instead, Saul gets crazy jealous of David's fame. People start singing about David and how many victories he's had. So Saul, he grows jealous, and he begins to throw spears at David. And he begins to attempt to kill him. David ends up having to run for his life from this guy, from this king. He ends up running from the king that should have been training him. And he, he ran from Saul, the historians think, for about four years. Dude was in and out of caves, hiding from this guy. He did nothing wrong to it. And David still never dishonored Saul. He stayed loyal. David was always loyal. But he was also blind. He was blind. His unguarded strength, it worked as a double weakness. What he didn't realize was that his loyalty was blinding him to his pain of rejection. He wanted so badly to be approved and validated by this king, but his heart was fractured by rejection, and he was numb to it. And to this day, we talk about how, how we should honor and celebrate David for how loyal he was to Saul, and we should. There's a great leadership lesson in that. There's a great lesson about authority in that. But I think at some point we forget that that thing we call loyalty was actually the thing that hurt him the worst. It was unguarded. I wonder what strengths in our life that have gone. I wonder what strengths in our life have gone unguarded, that are actually a double weakness. I wonder what blind spots we have. I wonder what things that people. I wonder what things people praise us in our lives for are actually blinding us to. Our pain. What are our blind spots? Could it, could it be that maybe, maybe you're an achiever? That's the Enneagram 3, I think. Is that right? Yeah. Maybe you're an achiever. That like, you're the person who you know how to get things done. You work harder than anybody else in the room. You'll outwork, it. You'll outwork anybody. If someone needs something to get done, you get it done. No questions asked. But maybe what everyone else praises as a strength is actually a blind spot. Maybe you work so hard to get things handled around you that you actually never get things handled within you. And you become known to what your heart needs because you're always too focused on what everybody else needs. I've been there as benign. The care about what you want, what DYA wants, and sometimes I don't realize what I want. I've numbed myself, but it looks like a strength. You don't realize it, but to you achievers, you're working so hard because you have to distract yourself from the wave of insecurity that comes when you stop. Because if you were to stop working, you'd have to sit with yourself. You do so much because you feel like you're not enough. What's your blind spot? We all have one. Maybe yours is the fact that your strength is like, man, I'm, I'm a servant. People know it about me. The helper, I'm a two. I, I'll help anybody. I'll serve. I'll pick up the chairs. I'll pick up trash. It's But what if that's actually called the blind spot of people pleasing? That you don't realize it, but as people praise your heart for service, you're actually... They're they're actually feeling a desperate need for validation. That behind it is this, man, you need to be validated by everybody else. And with every compliment, the hunger for validation grows deeper and deeper. We see David and his sin with Bathsheba, and we call it a lust issue. My point's this. There's more going on beneath the surface. There's more that we don't see. David didn't have a lust issue. He had a blind spot. His, uh, his issue was never lust. It was rejection. And what's ironic is David ends up marrying Saul's daughter. Her name is Michael. He ends up, after all this, he ends up marrying Saul's daughter named Michael. Because oftentimes we're attracted to our own brokenness. And if you're, if you're blind to them... If you're blind to their brokenness, oftentimes it's because you're blind to your own first. See, Michael was a lot more like Saul than David thought. A lot more like Saul than he he realized. In Samuel 6, again, David has this great victory. He brings the Ark of the Covenant, which was stolen by the Philistines. He brings it back into Jerusalem. And like, this is a big deal, okay? Okay. Jerusalem's going nuts. It's a huge victory, and David comes back after this huge victory, waiting to celebrate with all of Jerusalem, or all of Israel. And he walks into Jerusalem, and he began, the Bible says that he begins to dance, and he begins to sing, and he begins literally to shred his clothes off, and he's just so excited about the victory that the Lord brought. And it's a familiar scene where David's looking for someone to celebrate with. Goliath, now here. And he comes back to Jerusalem worshiping. But watch what happens when he comes to celebrate with his wife. 2 Samuel 6, 16 says, Now as as the ark of the Lord came into the city of David, Michael, Saul's daughter, looked through a window and saw King David leaping and whirling before the Lord. And she despised him in her heart. She saw his worship and she despised him in her heart. The Bible then goes on to say that David would walk into the house, and she she literally met him with sarcasm. She's like, "What are you? You look so good out there dancing like an idiot." King James version doesn't say that, <laughs> but she literally says, "She's like, you look like you look like a fool dancing in the street." He's just pumped to celebrate. She, you look terrible," she said. "You look dumb. You, why don't you have some class?" You, honestly, you didn't look much like a king. Like, pull yourself together, David. And in this moment, deeper and deeper and deeper, this seed of rejection goes down into the heart of David. And he doesn't know what to do with that familiar pain, so again, he knows it. He becomes more blind. So that then the next time he sees a beautiful woman on the top of a roof, there's a familiar question that he asks. Am I enough? Am I enough for her? Will will she accept me? Will Bathsheba maybe be different than Michael was? Will Bathsheba maybe be different than Saul was to me? I need you to lean in and hear this tonight. Behind every sin cycle, behind every addiction, behind every mess in your life is a blind spot. Behind every life of sin, there's undealt with pain. Behind every Bathsheba, there's a Saul. And behind every sin with Bathsheba is a rejection from Saul that we never dealt with. And so David wasn't just some sex addict. He wasn't just some womanizer. He was just still that little boy who was desperate for the acceptance that he never got from a father figure. So he began to seek it through a woman. He was trying to find it through another avenue. And the reason that you feel stuck in your struggle is because you're trying to trim branches when God's trying to dig up roots. We get stuck because we're trimming all these it's not the root of the issue but the good news is this this is literally why jesus came jesus literally came for this reason luke chapter four this is after jesus baptism he's making his announcement literally telling us this is why i came and he says the spirit of the lord is upon me because he has anointed me to do what i came to proclaim good news to the poor He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind. He wasn't just talking about physical eyes. He was saying the things that you don't see. I came to recover your sight for those things. Jesus came to open your eyes to your blind spots so that your saw moments don't turn into Bathsheba messes. You know, oftentimes we wonder, And I've heard time and time again, just stories of like people in in a position like this, a leader, a pastor. um, And they come out and there's just this outrageous scandal. There's just this thing that's just like, God, that is messy. Husbands leaving their wives for other men. And it's, how does this happen? Like, how, how does it get to this point? They're all blind spots. They're all because we choose to focus on branches when Jesus came to find the root, to get dig up the root. And he's trying to open up our eyes so that we could get real with him and with each other and say like, look, I know we all have got branches that look bad, but beyond that branch is a root of pain is something that's undealt with. And that's why Jesus came. And I wanna be careful tonight not to just inspire you, I wanna equip equip you. So if I could have five minutes, five more minutes, and just talk to you about like, how can we address some of these blind spots? That whole ordeal was just so that you could realize that behind one of the biggest mistakes in scripture, it wasn't this this, man, the guy's a sinner he was just tempted there was so much more to the story and it wasn't even about being good or bad it was about being broke and so i want to, before sure we'll stay and if you feel like you want to get prayed for we'll have that but i want to equip you like how can you actually riley i'm struggling with a blind spot you added me right how do i deal with this how do i address this because I, I, I do believe that God is opening some eyes. I believe that God is showing you some things. It's like, oh, like I'm struggling with that still. And to be honest with you, I think it's because I, I, I'm hurt. I'm hurt by something that happened. I'm hurt by maybe it was my first rejection I never healed from. So here's how we just address it in a practical way. Number one, I address a blind spot with trustworthy people who will tell me the truth in love. You need people around you who are willing to tell you the truth in love. David had Nathan, the guy who called him out to the carpet, the guy who's like, dude, uh, I know everybody loves you right now, but I'm going to be real. You suck. Even though you suck, come here, let me hug you. Like, we need those people in our lives who are going to be real, but aren't going to leave. The friends in your life who are both real and remain, keep them. Keep them. If they're willing to hurt your feelings, don't let them go. Because think about it. If they're willing to tell you, like, hey, I see this blind spot in you, Kylie. Like, they're not doing it. Like, they don't get anything out of that. They're literally just saying, hey, I see this. I just want it. Like, they're putting themselves on the line. Keep that person in your life. The Bible says that wounds from a friend can be trusted. Wounds from a friend can be trusted. Just because they're trusted doesn't mean that they're not painful. They're wounds. Okay? But they can be trusted. And it also says that kisses from an enemy, those things will betray. Okay? And so I'm, I'm just saying that at some point we've got to get to a place in our life where we look around, who look at who we're around, and ask ourselves, do we like what their life looks like? Are they willing to walk into this with me, or are they going to call me up and out of it? Keep those people in your life. That's why we're never walked alone. We want to be a community that actually walks their people through their mess, in their mess, restores them, and we're going to love you regardless. Number two, how do I address my blind spot? Number two is self-awareness. Self-awareness. Pay attention to the thoughts and the attitudes that you have. Like, actually pay attention to your feelings. The things that you feel. David said, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be pleasing to you. Meaning that he finally learned his lesson. Like, it finally clicked for David here in Psalm 19, and he finally started paying attention to his internal life which some of us need to stop for long enough to ask ourselves, what is going on? What is happening? To be self-aware means that I think about what I'm thinking about. It means the thoughts that I have, I actually ask myself, hmm, why am I having those thoughts? Because most of the time, we don't do that. Like, we just think things, and it's this thought roller coaster, and we live life like that. But if you walk into a room and every time you walk into a room you feel insecure, light bulb, why do I do that? And begin to trick, like, that's being self-aware. If a certain person stresses you out, like, you don't know why, but for some reason you get anxious and stressed out, you should maybe think about what you're thinking about.
1: What is it about you? What is
0: unhealthy in that relationship that's causing me to act in a completely different way? Think about what you're thinking about. Um, Number three, we've got to, if we're going to address these things, we have to have an open heart before God. An open heart before God. David, despite all of his faults, despite all of this mess, he's still known as a man after God's own. He went through all this mess, and he still says in Psalm, God, search me and know my ways. Tell me if there's an unclean way within me. God, show me the things that I'm missing. God, show me maybe the blind spots in my life. And this is so important. Friends, you got to have self-awareness, but you got to get to a place in your life where you're going to get into the presence of God and say, Lord, I need you. God, open my eyes. Where did this start? Take me back to the beginning of this thought. And sometimes it's super, super uncomfortable. And it's not easy. But this is real. If you can get to a place where you're willing to sit through the discomfort of all of that and and just allow God to speak, just be quiet. Allow your mind to even go to those places that you've been avoiding for so long. An open heart before God. He'll meet you there. And He won't leave you there. And number four is this ask the unanswered questions of your heart. Ask the, meaning, I think that there are so many of us who have these questions that we just refuse to address. We have these things in our, heart, in our life that, like, maybe even about God, or a, 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 it could be anything that we just don't address because we don't want to be the person to ask. God's okay with your questions. God is not afraid of your questions. He says, bring these things to me. Like, true worshipers, it says in Matthew, true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. To worship in spirit and in truth means. Through the Holy Spirit and also in truth, my true self, I bring my real self before God. He's big enough to handle you. He's big enough to handle you. I believe fully, fully that God, uh, he doesn't cause the pain of our life. I want you to know he just uses it. He uses our pain almost like a GPS to the root issue. So he, you ask, some of you have the question of your heart, like, God, why are you allowing me to feel all of this? This anxiety that we try and pray away, this whatever, we try and get rid of all this stuff. Why, God, if you're good, are you allowing me to do this? And I believe it's because he's trying to get you away from the branch. And if you ask the question and lean into the pain, He'll use it as a GPS to show you the real issue back here. And you'll be set free. That's all I have for you tonight. Um, Before we close and pray, I just want to really encourage you. We need need those questions. The questions of your heart, fill those things out and put them back there. Um, But can I pray, pray for you before we go? Yes. Let's pray. God, I thank you that you know us. Lord, I thank you that you don't just address the branches. You're not into behavior modification. God, you came to transform us. So, Lord, we just take these tools, these things that we learned from Psalm 19. Lord, and we want to implement them into our lives. Help us. It can't be done without the help of your spirit. So God, please, if some of the people in here, God, they need people to walk alongside of them. Holy Spirit, you are our provider. Not just financially, you will provide the person, the people that we need. So Lord, I just ask in Jesus' name that you would supernaturally provide people that will walk into our lives and be able to handle our truth with love. We open our hearts before you, God, and we just, we submit this semester to you, God. We submit the beginning of this year to you. I don't know what these people came in carrying, Lord, I don't know what the first start of their year looked like, but God, we just lay it down right now, and we thank you, Lord, that you have a purpose for it, that you're in the midst of it, God, and I just, I just pray for a supernatural um, strength, Lord, that would rise up in this community of people. Lord, and as we step into this new season, God, I pray that you would bring, um, bring people here who need to hear your answers. As we ask the questions, God, bring people who need your answers. God, I believe that you're going to use us in that way. We love you. We worship you in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Do you receive the word tonight?